This is Hope After Hurt, a Yes podcast. We talk about church hurt, stories of disappointment, and the future of community. With the goal of healing from past pains, inspiring hope for the future, and building a better leader for generations to come. Join this community created for healing, hope, and heroes. Now your host, a pastor's kid who has served everywhere from startups to some of the largest churches in the world, Drew Barker. Let's go. It's the Yes Podcast where we're saying yes to what God has next. Special thanks to everyone who is sharing this podcast, sharing all of our social media platforms. And if you haven't yet, I want to encourage you to invite someone in on this journey with you as we discover hope after hurt. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing church hurt, sharing stories of disappointments, and talking about the future of community. And all of this really comes with a goal of healing from past pains, inspiring hope for the future, and building better leaders for generations to come. We're going to launch into a story of where I really think the church is at this point. And then we're going to get to my worst memory in life, like period, something that only three people know about in the entire world. And we're also going to relate that to ministry. So really excited about today's episode. And Joe, man, thanks so much for producing this. Oh, happy to be here. Man, how cool is it that we worked at a church together 10 years ago? For a couple of years, at least. I really appreciate your support on this journey, your passion for getting helpful content to people. It really means a lot. And, and you're really, uh, you're really the brains behind this because I have no idea what I'm doing other than talking into a mic. That's all I got going for me. I do know what all the multicolor buttons do. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I feel like it's important because, look, I, I've, I've served everywhere from startups to some of the largest churches in the world. I'm a pastor's kid. I, I've been around church my entire life. And, and here's what I'm finding. The more and more I have conversations with people that are either in ministry or have left ministry. I'm finding that the majority of times people are moving away from church, moving away from Christianity, moving away from community. It comes back to a leader not getting something important right. Sometimes that looks like pride or inflated ego. Sometimes that looks like abuse of power. Sometimes it's just straight up losing your way. But it all comes back to the leader couldn't get the important things Right. And, and know this to, to the listeners out there. The goal of this podcast is it's not to throw shade at leaders or pastors or anyone. Uh, we're not going to be mentioning uh, names of churches. We're not going to be even mentioning locations. And trust me, I'm going to be sharing some failures of my own, some moments where I came up short as a leader. We, we don't get it uh, right, that's for sure. But we have to address the overwhelming lack of accountability and support for leaders in church. We just have to. We're at that point. And I think it's more important now than ever, because if you haven't noticed, there's a really big shift going on. I don't know if we've seen a shift like this in about 25 years. Like you remember 25 years ago, we had this worship shift, right? Every Everybody started doing contemporary music and pastors started dressing different and it became more casual. And we introduced a guest experience and a focus on first time guests. And I, I think all of that's great. 
But 25 years ago, when that happened, the churches that made the shift quickly survived and thrived. And the churches that went, "Mm, that's not it. They're dying. They're 100% dying. And now they're trying to catch up and make that shift 25 years later. And and it's too late because here we are. We're at another pivotal moment in ministry. And, And the church as we know it, guys, it is changing. I think that's a good thing. I really relate it to the story of Lazarus. I'm not going to get into John chapter 11 and just read you the story, but you'll remember you have Lazarus who dies. Spoiler alert, Jesus <laughs> comes and calls him out of the tomb. But the reason I relate that, that to the church is because I'm finding that the church right now seems to be in this stagnant plateau of like a grave. And we're trying to figure out What do we do about it? And it seems like the best answer that most pastors have right now is just to come on back to church. So we go through COVID, everyone's doing church online, and now we're, it seems on the other side of it, or at least getting there. And it seems like the the number one thing for pastors to do is just to get on stage and say, come on back. Let's get back to the way things were. That's a problem because it's different now. I think it's important for us to realize that because just like the story of Lazarus, Jesus finds out about Lazarus and he's the one day journey from the guy. And he takes four days to get there. He takes his time. And that was a big deal because Jewish custom believed that the spirit hovers over the body for three days. And so if you were to wait till the fourth day, there was literally no hope. And I feel like we're in this We're in this moment where we're expecting Jesus to solve this issue, to redeem his church here and solve this issue the way that we think it should be solved, which is just getting back to the basics, just going back to normal. And that's not it. I think people underestimate the role that COVID played in that as well. The statistics from the Associated Press in Barnard Group said that one out of three practicing Christians completely dropped off the face of the earth when their church attendance. So one in three. That's unbelievable. So talk about feeling dead. Yeah. And then 50 church membership in the U.S. dropped below 50% for the first time since 1940. That's in, What more do you need? We've got to wake up. Let's be honest. Why did people leave during COVID? We were doing a poor job, and I, I put me in there. We were doing a poor job of caring for people. And, and we had the audacity as a church when people left to, to, to come up with excuses like, well, they weren't bought in. They just weren't really, they weren't dedicated Christians. It's no, take some ownership. We did a terrible job of caring for people. We cared for people based around them serving on a Sunday. A care in our opinion was sending them an email through planning center and saying, are you available to serve this weekend? And then when COVID dropped Sunday off the face of the earth, basically, well, our care system leaves. Because we weren't really caring for people. We were just hoping they were available to serve. Now we're in this position where we're, let me get this straight, we're going to invite people back in on the very thing they left? We're going to stand on stage and beg them to come back and say it's okay when they left for a reason. And it's easy to say from a church standpoint that live streaming, I know a lot of churches 
didn't want to get into it because they felt like it would be an excuse. But right. a lot of people leaned into it during the uh, pandemic because of it felt like the safe alternative. As early on, even the CDC was like, one of the worst things you can do is go to church. <laughs> right. <laughs> but very similar to what you're talking about, a lot of churches are just like, okay, now stop live streaming. I think there's some ownership that might need to take place because if you can get almost everything that you were getting out of church attendance from live streaming, and I think that's where a lot of people are, they're like, yeah. it really doesn't feel that different for me. They have, a, it's obviously different. Sure. But it maybe doesn't feel that different for people. And so how is the church leaning into that conversation and being like, should we address that? Or should we just be like, no, we're just, don't live stream anymore. Maybe we'll right. back. And it's funny because are you gauging your preference or are you gauging impact? Are you gauging what church has always looked like to you? Or are you looking at the effectiveness? Now, the effectiveness could look different for sure. But I'm almost finding that community online leads to people being way more open, way more talkative, and way more willing to share vulnerable things than in a church lobby. There's both. I think you run after both. The church has historically always been a little bit behind technology-wise. No. Yeah. We might take a couple <laughs> extra decades to be like, hey, maybe we should <laughs> have a website. And that's right. <laughs> right. 25 years ago, that's what happens. Now we're sitting in another shift. And the churches that sit around and wait, this is, man, and these shifts seem to be getting like quicker yeah. and quicker. I like your analogy back to what you were talking about being a seeker sensitive church sure. or whatever. But there was this fundamental change and churches had to pick a side because there were other churches that were going to come along and they were maybe more effectively meeting needs than they were. 100%. And I feel like this is a difference. How are you going to handle this particular slice of history? Sure. And what is that going to look like moving forward? And would you rather be wrong and be on the side of I ran after people too much? Or would you, would you rather be wrong and say I sat in my preferences and did nothing? And what I know is that Jesus is going to keep his church going. We know that. Like the, the church is not going to fail, but it is going to look different. And, and to the leaders out there, you don't have to know exactly what it's going to look like. Like I can't sit here and be like, listen, 10 years from now, this is exactly what it's going to look like. I have guesses. But if I get on a flight from North Carolina to California, my pilot doesn't have to see California when he gets up in the air. He just needs to head west. And, and so we've got to do the same thing as leaders. I don't know what 5, 10, 15 years looks like. I know it looks different than now. So my goal is not to find the end already. My goal is just to head west, just head towards it. This may be different than we've ever thought. God may do this differently than we think. But we've got to be open to it and we've got to be willing to be there, be present and watch the church walk out of the grave, just like Lazarus. We've got to be ready for that. Let's take a short break. And when we come back, my worst memory meets ministry. Did you know that Drew's family can help you with shipping, printing, Packing, shredding, branding, and every ing imaginable? That's right, they own three of the UPS stores in North Carolina. If you're near the city of Cary or the Clayton, North Carolina area, please make sure you stop into your local, the UPS store, and say yes to local family owned business. Hey, welcome back. I want to remind you our social media pages are all set up 
for a few things, right? They're set up for vulnerability, authenticity, and most importantly, community. So my goal is that you would feel comfortable sharing your story, maybe even your current struggle. And this is in order that we can come around you, that we can support you, that we can pray for you. And I think you'll find that you're not the only one walking through what you're walking through. But before I ask you to step into a place of vulnerability, I'm going to do my best to lead. And leaders go first. So I'm going to share something with you that literally only three people in the entire world know about me. And eventually this story is going to take us from my worst life memory to my worst church memory. And I just want you to know up front, this is not going to be easy for me. I've written this out just in case I like get off or get too emotional. I just, I want to stay on track. This won't be easy, but please bear with me as we launch into this. I was in my early 20s living in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee and working at a theater on the main strip. Now, if you've ever been to Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, you know right where I'm talking about. If you haven't been there, just imagine like a really tame Las Vegas with a lot less musical talent, okay? And when working in a theater, you really don't have a lot of time off. You're constantly around castmates, and so naturally your friend group becomes revolved around your work. And it's really similar to a church, honestly. And one of the guys that I worked with was a really good friend of mine, and, and one weekend we both had the weekend off from the theater. And so we decided, hey, let's head to Nashville. Let's get a hotel. Let's go hang out downtown. Let's like eat at a good restaurant. Let's just live it up and really just celebrate the fact that, hey, like we're not working this weekend. Let's go to Nashville and have some fun. And when we arrived back to the hotel following dinner, things just got weird. And I noticed we were in a room with just one bed in a parking lot that seemed empty. And that was strange because like before we had gone on this trip, we discussed getting a room and we're gonna have two beds. And we did all that prior to the, the reservation. And when I asked my friend, you know, why the one bed, the response was, well, because it was the only room available. So I went to get ice as you do. <laughs> and, and as I'm on my way to the ice machine, I decided, you know what, I'm gonna stop down at the lobby. I'm just gonna ask, the, the lady that's down at the desk. I'm just going to ask if there's any other rooms available. And the lady working the front desk assured me that the hotel was practically empty and many rooms were available, including ones that had two beds. And so when I got back to our room, my friend was in the shower and I planned, hey, when he gets out, I'm just going to question him one more time, not getting heated or anything, but hey, I just want to see, would, would he be open to maybe switching rooms? And I wasn't prepared for what happened next. My friend got out of the shower, keeping no clothes on. And he proceeded to try and talk me into having sex with him. And at first, I literally thought he was joking. But it became clear that this was no joke. My friend was standing between me and the door, naked, trying to convince me 
to have sex. And I thought about just, hey, I'm just going to run out the door. But my friend was three inches taller and about 60 pounds heavier and standing in the way. And so there I was, pinned in a room with what felt like no way out. I was trapped, confused, attacked. My friend then proceeded to try and force himself on me. And so things started with like light pushes, simple defense tactics, right, from me, but it became clear like this was not going to stop. And no matter how many times I said no, no matter how many times I said stop or shoved him away, he, he just kept advancing. And so as a last resort, literally for the first time in my life, I punched someone in the face. Unfortunately, the first punch didn't stop him either. And it just seemed to escalate the matter. And he became more aggressive. And so I just kept punching. And I punched until my hands were numb. And finally, there was a path to the door. I ran out of the room with no phone, none of my possessions, feeling like I wanted to throw up, cry, and jump off the roof at, at all at the same time. I used the lobby phone to call a friend that came and picked me up at a location far away from the hotel and I never went back for my things. I quit my job at the theater. I, I wanted no part of this. I moved back to North Carolina as fast as I could and I left Tennessee hoping to leave my memories there as well. But as you know, memories, experiences, insecurities, they always follow you. And so fast forward to 10 years later, here I am sitting in a staff meeting at a church. Let me set the scene a little. In the room is the leader, an intern, six other staff members, and me. We're doing an exercise where we answer the following question. On a scale of one to 10, without using numbers four, five, and six, how good are you at the following? Organizing and planning and problem solving. And the scale was one represented no skill at all and 10 represented the skill of our senior pastor. And I thought this was a cool exercise. This was an opportunity to really see how we all felt about ourselves and maybe an opportunity to correct or encourage others in the room, depending on how they see themselves. Team building. We all love team building. And that's exactly what the exercise did. At first. And so the leader asked one of the team members in the room to share their numbers. And, and they undershot big time. We all came around him and encouraged him and told him like, man, you're doing so much better than you think. Like you're doing so much better. And we just 
we talked about how great his ministry was, how great his mind was, how he's helped us be successful in ministry. Honestly, the exercise created a great vibe in the room. And then the leader asked, who wants to share next? And naturally, I raised my hand. Who wouldn't want to hear how great they are and be encouraged by their team? Who wouldn't want to experience that joy that you just witnessed someone else having? So I I raised my hand. I wanted to share my numbers. And for the record, I wrote down a three in organization and a seven for problem solving. But in a weird switch, the leader decided that at this time, everyone would write down their rating, not for themselves, but for me. And then we'd just go around the room and talk about it. The mood changed immediately. So we get to the first person, and they were asked to share their rating of me. And this was a mistake. Because he gave me a nine on problem solving. And that created a downward spiral from there. The leader chuckled from what I remember and said, you, you think he's a nine? And I appreciated my teammate at the time standing up for me and saying, yeah. He went on to say how I've helped him in his ministry, how I tend to think through processes well. He brought up a current win that I was having in my own ministry and Man, I was feeling encouraged. That only lasted for a moment. The leader then chimed in again and explained, I don't think he's anywhere close to a nine. He went on to say that just because Drew runs with a good idea doesn't mean it was his idea to begin with. And I felt he was implying that he was really the true brain behind my ministry success. And don't get me wrong, honestly, he wouldn't be too far off from the truth with that statement. I owe a lot of my success, not only at this church, but at the ones following to this guy. It's important to note that that this leader is not a bad person, but this was a bad moment. We weren't getting the important things right. And so after this leader went on to share how far off my teammates' numbers were, I think everyone else in the room got the hit because the numbers just kept getting lower and lower as we went around the room. And every time the number got lower, the leader was like more encouraging. And so the examples got worse and the leader just kept feeding the flames. And I found myself getting extremely quiet. I just stopped talking, stopped taking notes. I shut down. And looking back, I probably was a little defensive. And that's something I have to own. But I was really confused by the turn in the room. And honestly, I just felt like everyone was ganging up on me. It was almost like this mob mentality. And everyone was just getting around the leader's motives. So after everyone got their turn to rate me, the leader then drew his attention and the room's attention to me. And the leader asked, how are you feeling? I explained that I felt bad. (laughs) I felt like I suck. And I didn't have anything to offer the team. And this was a moment where things went from bad to worse. The leader asked me, 
if I'd like to take a break in order to let some of the emotion and the weight out of the room? Or should we continue to dig deeper? And I, without hesitation, explained that taking a break would be best. I wanted a break. I asked to stop. The leader then, as I remember it, said, for the sake of where we are in the conversation, let's dig a little deeper. It was happening again. I was trapped, confused, attacked, and embarrassed. I had asked to stop. Can we just stop? Can we just take a break? And he kept going. I sat in a chair in that room for an additional 18 minutes. I know because I couldn't stop looking at my watch. And I sat there as the team and the leader continued taking guesses at what they thought emotionally I was experiencing. Let's try and figure out what Drew's going through right now. I heard things like pride, self-esteem issues, anger. And the leader finally asked me if I would be willing to share a memory in my life that aligns with the emotion that I was experiencing so that everyone in the room could get to know me better. And I'm pretty sure you know the memory that jumped to my brain. Here I am in a room with people I don't know very well. An intern that's been around for three weeks. A leader who just threw me under the bus. And a team that just expressed how inadequate I am at planning and problem solving. Drew, care to be vulnerable? I'm now being asked to share the worst memory of my entire life. And so I looked at the room and explained, nothing comes to mind. I'm pretty sure they all knew I was lying. The leader asked one more time, and again I answered, No, nothing. Nothing comes to mind. And he knew I was lying too. We then finally took a break. I wanted to throw up, cry, jump off a building. I've never been so humiliated. Maybe one other time. And I know the leader probably had success with this exercise in the past. He was doing the best he could. His intentions were pure. I honestly don't doubt that for a moment. He just happened to select my hand that day. And then he didn't decide to stop. 
And on my way to the restroom during the break, I had three staff members come up to me and apologize. I appreciated that. Honestly, looking back, it still means a lot. But needless to say, that day I lost trust in a leader. I lost trust in a team. And I learned some valuable lessons that I think we can all share. And so I want to make sure when you're listening to this podcast that we're not just sharing stories, but we're getting better because this world deserves a better generation of leaders. We need to get better. And so here are some lessons that I think we can learn from this story. Number one, vulnerability and authenticity cannot be forced. There must be an environment created for those actions. And that environment is trust. So leaders, you want your team to be vulnerable? You want them to be authentic? Take the time to build trust. Using a team exercise and borderline psychology to force someone into vulnerability and authenticity is always going to lead to problems. Vulnerability and authenticity cannot be forced. The way that you create the environment for that is trust. Number two, their pain overrides your position. We are called to stand in the gap for hurting people. And everyone in that room, and everyone, saw me hurting, saw me silent, saw me helpless. And not one person said stop. I asked to stop. When someone's in pain, it doesn't matter if you're the leader. It doesn't matter what room you're sitting in. It doesn't matter what is on the line. When someone is in pain, you need to understand that their pain overrides your position. Stand in the gap for hurting people. The third thing is for all my leaders out there. Would you just think through your ideas one more time? Just do yourself and your team a favor. Just think through that idea you have one more time. That great idea for a staff meeting or a Zoom call with your team. Have you taken into account your team's emotions? What they might be going through? Let's be honest, they serve you. You owe them five more minutes. Think through it one more time. After all, where would you be without them? So Joe, that's my thing. If we're going to walk into a room and we've got an idea for an icebreaker, a game, anything like that, I wonder what it would look like for us to just assume your team's going through stuff. Like they're hurting. Sometimes we ask questions like, and they just, we jump into them. Tell me a time you were hurt or... <laughs> What's the worst thing that ever happened to you? And like you were saying, 
there has to be a large amount of trust to get to a conversation. Yes. That any, that it's anything meaningful around, around topics like that. And I think you shared a story that a lot of people can relate to in the fact that we've been through real traumatic experiences and then we find ourselves in another experience that brings up those feelings all of a sudden. That's why it's so important that, that as a leader, that you recognize that they're your people's pain trumps your position. That's great. You can't not take that into account when somebody's visually hurting and assume that what they're dealing with is surface level, because that would be to assume that people haven't been hurt. Absolutely. And, and I think for me too, I, I want to make sure we understand the goal. Like for instance, the goal of me sharing this story is not so that people go, oh my goodness, I can't believe he went through that. I'm sure you've been through something too. The goal is that we find common ground. And that's really what these social media pages are built for is, hey, let's find some common ground and build community through our shared experiences. Mine might not look like yours, might not be like yours, might not sound like yours. That's okay. That's what makes us unique. But you've got to ask yourself as a leader when I'm walking into the room, is the goal that I find out information or is the goal that I am building my team? When you ask a question like that, number one, you've got to be ready for the response. And number two, you've got to be ready to use it to build your team not just gain information. And that's where we get into dangerous territory when leaders are using vulnerable moments from staff members as leverage down the road. Again, I wanna encourage you to check out my social media pages on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. I also wanna thank you for listening to the premiere episode of Hope After Hurt. If you found some value in this episode, would you do me a favor? Would you consider writing a review? Reviews help this podcast rise to the top of list in searches and allows for easier access. I'd love for you to share this with someone and write a review. You never know what someone's walking through. And maybe this could offer them some encouragement today. I look forward to reading your stories and connecting with you more on the Facebook group as we continue to build a community around healing, hope, and heroes. Episode two of this series will be out in the coming weeks with a very special guest that's going to talk through the future of ministry. And in the meantime, keep saying yes to what God has next. Thanks for listening to Hope After Hurt. If you enjoyed this episode or found it useful, please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and sharing it with a friend. Join the Yes Community on Facebook at facebook.com slash the yes community on Instagram at yesco underscore immunity, TikTok at Drew's Barker, and for show notes, visit the website at yes.transistor.fm. This show is produced, edited, and engineered by Podcast Carry. Thanks for listening.